Well, thank you, choir, orchestra, Jack. <laughs> Years ago, there was a Mexican bandit by the name of Jorge Hernandez. He would come across the border and uh, rob banks and steal and so forth. Well, on one such excursion, he was apprehended by a U.S. Marshal. The Marshal said to him, Hernandez, tell me where you hid the money before I really become angry. Well, Hernandez looked confused because he couldn't speak English. There was a deputy with the Marshal, and so he could interpret. The Marshal told him to interpret. He said, you tell him that he has exactly one minute to tell me where he hid the money or I'm going to shoot him dead where he is. Well, the interpreter told him and with great emotion he responded. He said, I, I buried the money down by the Rio Grande four paces west of the hanging tree. The marshal then said, uh, what did he say? He said, Mr. Hernandez is a brave man. He said, go ahead and shoot him. He's not telling you anything. <laughs> there are moments in life when we are tempted to compromise our integrity. We especially see that during this political season. It is my belief that most everyone goes into politics because they believe that they can make things better. But then after a while, they sacrificed the convictions they had when they went in on the altar of pragmatism. I've also seen that in ministry. God calls someone into ministry. They respond to God's call, but then after a while, in order to please someone, in order to gain the approval of someone or some group, they compromise the call of God. Today we're going to see such a moment in the life of Esau. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 25, and we'll begin reading in verse number 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First tell, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and little stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We have to be aware that there are moments in time, critical moments, in which we make a decision that has significant consequence. There are those particular moments in time when we make a decision that has lasting consequence. That's the reason Simon Peter warned us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, 
Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This was such a moment in Esau's life that he was vulnerable. If you look there in verse number 29, when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Now understand that Esau had been out in the field, he was hunting, he was tired, he came home, he smelled the stew, and he was hungry. In verse number 30, and Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I am famished. He said, Jacob, just give me a bite. I mean, it smells so good. All I want is just a taste of that stew. And then you see in verse number 32, and Esau said, behold, I am about to die. He said, I'm about to starve to death. So he had been out in the field. He was hunting. He was tired. He came in. He was famished. And he said, I would just like a taste of that stew, and I am about to die. Well, that was an exaggeration. He wasn't about to starve to death. And I'm sure that there was other food available to him. But he was vulnerable and he was short-sighted. Look at verse number 32b. So of what use then is the birthright to me? Now, ladies and gentlemen, at this moment in time concerning Esau... He was tempted by the smell and the thought of the stew. And he did not consider the consequence as to what it would cost him. When Jacob said, then sell me your birthright. You see, Esau was the firstborn of Isaac and Rebekah. As the firstborn, there were certain benefits available to him. One was concerning leadership. Because he was the firstborn, he would be the one who would lead the family, who would lead the clan going forward. So there was leadership. There was also a financial issue because the firstborn always received more inheritance than the other siblings. And then there was a future. As a result of being the firstborn, he would receive the birthright, he would receive the inheritance, and then he would pass it on to his firstborn but he didn't consider what he was giving up. You know, isn't it interesting that oftentimes God is referred to in the Old Testament especially as being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Were it not for this moment, it would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He came to an important moment in life and did not consider the consequence of his decision. David did the same thing. He had such a moment in his life when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He was vulnerable. The Bible says that at that time that kings went off to war, but David did not. He stayed there in the palace. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 2, it says, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Now, David was not a voyeur. He was not a peeping Tom. You have, who have been to Jerusalem know that the houses are built on the side of a hill. And so David is up here and he's just looking down. And so there she is. It's not that he was a voyeur. But, but here's the thought for you. If you're looking 
Satan will give you something to look at. David was just out there. He wasn't a voyeur. He was just out there and he saw her. 2 Samuel eleven three. So David sent and inquired about the woman. So here is David. He looks down. He sees this beautiful woman bathing. He should have turned around and gone back home, right? He should have gone inside, but he didn't. He said, who is she? Who is that woman down there? So he's lingering and looking. And then in 2 Samuel eleven four, and David sent messengers and took her. You see, he was vulnerable. He just happened to go out. He looked down. There she was. Who is that woman? And then the Bible says that he took her. He too was short-sighted without considering the cost of his action. He came to a moment and did not consider the seriousness of his action. What did it cost him? Well, his fellowship with God. The Bible says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty-seven, but the thing that David did had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. The thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Did not respond as Joseph did he. You know the story of Joseph. He was sold into slavery. Then Potiphar bought him. He became the servant of Potiphar. He was given control over the entire household of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. And then she said to him, lie with me. And in Genesis 39, verse number 9, Joseph said, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You see, Joseph took a long look. David did not. David only looked at the immediately. Cost him his fellowship with God, cost him his fellowship with his family, his relationship to his family. You study the life of David. David was a wonderful man. He was a great leader. And the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. He had a heart for God. You look at his family after this time, it was an absolute disaster. From this time going forward, his family was a total dysfunctional family. What did it cost? It cost the nation of Israel. His people, the people that he led, suffered as a result of his indiscretion. You and I, ladies and gentlemen, face such moments in life. We face those moments when we're called on to make a decision, those moments of temptation. Sometimes it's sexual. You know, one of the biggest problems we have in our society today, it was not a problem when I was coming up, but it's a problem for this generation, and that is pornography. It is so easily accessible. You can be in your room, you can go on the computer, you can pull it up, not realizing the damage that it is doing to you, but it is so easy. No one knows. And it is epidemic in the church as well as outside the church. It's a problem. You face those times in life, those moments in life, when you make a decision and it has serious consequences, your values are compromised during those times. So there's a temptation of the moment. And such moments are dangerous and, they, and we should be aware of the danger because the, the danger is, the temptation is, is that we satisfy the immediate, that we respond to the immediate. That's what Esau did. He came home, he had been out hunting, he was tired, he was hungry. And he couldn't see past the bowl of stew. That's all he could see. He was attracted to the immediate. Same thing was true with David. David saw the woman. 
and he could not see past the pleasure of the moment. We are constantly tempted with the immediate. One of the greatest great temptations we face is that that is immediate, that that is immediately in front of us. Some of you students plan to go to college, but then you decide to buy a car rather than save the money. And then you have to borrow the money to go to college. And then when you get out, you've got to pay the money back. You know, they talk to about having free college. Does anyone believe that? That I'm going to give you free college? Folks, let me tell you something. You're going to be paying for that college when you're 50 years old. It's just going to be taxes. But somebody has to pay. There is no such thing as anything that is free. So, there is the temptation of the immediate. A business person decides to cut some corners rather than to establish a business that is going to last for time. Politicians respond to the moment, to the immediate, rather than to their convictions. Well, we've seen that this last week. We have read about the legislation proposed and passed in Georgia and North Carolina to protect religious freedom. Now that's controversial, isn't it? To protect religious freedom. But then the businesses said, no, that's discriminatory. And so they began to put pressure on the governors to veto the legislation. Big businesses. Pressure on the governors to veto the legislation. Governor Georgia did. Governor of North Carolina did not. We need to pray for the governor of North Carolina. Pray that God would surround him and encourage him. You see, what I'm saying is that there are times in life when we face consequential issues, decisions. There is a moment in time. And it's perhaps more important than we realize. Thus, we need to focus beyond the moment. We need to focus beyond the right now and ask the question, where does it lead? When I taught my children to drive, I told them, don't ever just look at the car in front of you. You have to look two, three cars in front. Because if you're only looking at what is immediately in front of you, you're going to run into them. Job is a perfect example. You know the story of Job. He suffered. He lost everything. He lost his cattle, he lost his children, he lost his family, he lost his health, he lost everything. But he looked past the suffering and remained committed to God. And in Job chapter 13 verse 15 he said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. How do I stress to you the danger of the moment? You are going to face a moment when you are tempted to do something and you need to look past the temptation, past the moment to the future, to ask yourself, where is this going to lead me? It is dangerous. We have to have patience if we're going to look beyond the immediate. And yet the truth is most of us are too impatient to make good decisions. And that was Esau. He was hungry. He was impatient. In verse number 30, Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there. He was totally focused on the stew. 
Let me have just a taste of it. It smells so good. And I am famished. I'm about to die. I'm starving to death. He was impatient, too impatient to make a good decision. Simon Peter, I suppose, is the poster child for impatience. You know the story when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and there God spoke to them. Now, you would think that if God spoke and you heard his voice that you would take off your shoes because you knew you were standing on holy ground, not Peter. Matthew chapter 17, verse 4, And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said, God, this is great. Because his motto was don't just stand there, do something. And so Peter was always willing to do something. He was impatient, didn't wait on the Lord. That was one of the things that he had to deal with. Are you impatient? Since yes or no. Did you just lie? <laughs> Most of us are impatient. I am. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm still impatient. Let me ask you, how long, when you go into a restaurant and they don't serve you immediately, how long is it before you begin to get aggravated? How much time do you give them? Here's one restaurant had a sign that said, if you are not served within five minutes, you will be served within eight or nine, maybe 12. <laughs> so just relax. Well, that's a cute sign, but I find it hard to do, don't you? When I get on the elevator, the first thing I do is push the floor I'm going to and then the closed door button. I don't think it's connected to anything. I think they just put it in there for people like us. I don't think it does a bit of good, but I, you know, I don't want to wait two seconds for the door to close for heaven's sakes. I could be doing something else for two seconds. Impatient. Some of you young people are impatient about marriage. You decide, well, it's time to get married. So you find someone that will marry you, and then you're going to spend the rest of your life wishing you had been patient. To avoid the consequences of bad decisions, we have to learn to be patient. Now, David suffered from impatience. He looked down, saw the woman. Rather than going back inside, who is that woman? He took her. But did you know that he learned patience? Because the Bible says in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. David was not a patient person, but he learned patience. And we normally learn patience as a result of being impatient. Folks, when temptations come, don't give away the things of value for the things that have none. James chapter 5 verse 8 says, be patient, strengthen your heart. If you're going to be able to overcome the temptation of the moment, if you're going to be able to see past the moment into the consequences of my decision, you're going to have to be patient. And then temptation comes and we must make a decision. I think if we understood the consequences of sin, if we understood the consequences to come of our actions, 
that we would make better decisions. Let me tell you about sin. It will always take you further than you wanted to go. You get into sin, you're going to discover it will take you further than you had planned to go. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, it never crossed his mind that it would lead him to being responsible for the death, the murder of her husband Uriah, but it did. He went further than he ever thought he would go. When the people of Richard Nixon's administration or campaign broke into Watergate, I can assure you it never occurred to them that that would lead to the downfall of a president. I just want you to understand when you get into sin, it'll take you further than you intended. It will last longer than you intended. Have you discovered that it is difficult to get out of sin once you get into it? Hmm? When you get into it, you discover it is really hard to get out of. And it costs more than you intended to pay. In verse number 33, and Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Esau never dreamed what it was costing him to have a bowl of stew. It cost him far more than he anticipated. R.G. Lee, a South Carolinian, had a famous sermon. I used to love to go hear R.G. Lee preach. I'd go anywhere, anywhere near, I'd go hear R.G. Lee preach. He had a sermon titled Payday Someday. Some of you probably heard that sermon, Payday Someday. Point of it is this, there is always a payday. Might not be today, but there's always a payday. And folks, whenever you get into sin, you have to understand that there is a consequence. There is a payday someday. The choice of righteousness has a consequence of joy in your marriage. Listen to me. I know that this is a large congregation, a lot of things going on in people's lives. Maybe someone knows about it, maybe someone doesn't. But perhaps you're being tempted to unfaithfulness. You're in that process now. You're being tempted to unfaithfulness in your marriage. I can assure you, faithfulness to your vows is going to bring you far more joy in life than the moment of indiscretion. You will discover when you're older when you're old, if you've been faithful to your spouse, that there is a richness of love that you never knew before. Parents, when you bring your children up to know the Lord and love the Lord and to put the things of God first in their life, you bring them up, you instill that in them. This is what's really important. That will bring you more joy when they are adults than any game they ever won. When you look at your children and they have become adults and you see them loving the Lord, faithful to the Lord, faithful to the church, 
That will bring to you a satisfaction that nothing else will. Righteousness gives us real life. That's the reason Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I, I, I don't know why there are so many who think that, you know, the, being a Christian is such a boring thing. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we're just, maybe, I, maybe we've just fostered that we're boring people. I don't know. But I want you to know that, that, that a life committed to Jesus is an abundant life. It brings a joy, a satisfaction, a peace that nothing else does. And that's what he promised. Not only does he give us abundant life, he gives us eternal life. He's provided a home for us in heaven. So let me conclude. Some of you probably today are facing a moment in time, a moment of temptation. We all have those moments in life when we have to make a decision that is consequential. That's the reason Paul said in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Florence Nightingale, at the age of 30, wrote in her diary, I am 30 years of age, the age at which Christ began his mission. Now no more childish things, no more vain things. Now, Lord, let me think only of thy will. My friend, there are moments in life when we are called on to make a decision of some sort. And oftentimes that moment is consequential. Oftentimes that moment has real significance. And it could be at this invitation time that you are at such a moment that the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart about committing your life to Christ, then you are at that moment. Now, what will you do? There could be other issues. A moment concerning church membership, a moment concerning some temptation that you're dealing with. I just want you to know that we come to moments. There's a moment in time, and it is important that you make the right decision. And I pray that you will. Our Father and God, we come to a time of invitation and I ask, Lord, that you speak to the hearts of people. Lord, that they understand that when we make decisions that they are serious, they can be consequential. And I pray, Father, for those today who are dealing with such moments, that, Lord, they will look past the temptation of the moment to the result of it. And, Father, that today there might be a commitment to you, to your will, to your purpose. I just pray, Father, that you would draw them and encourage them and strengthen them even now. In Christ's name, amen. Well, in just a moment, we'll stand and sing a hymn of invitation. Choir will sing. What will you do? Are you at such a moment? I don't know. You know that. Are you at such a moment? If you should commit your life to Christ, pray that you will. If you're looking at church home, our doors open. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. Choir sings, you come, I've you should do it. Christ is all.